Sing to me, oh Brandon, of what's coming up next. The Odyssey. <laughs> Booking once again. We did an experiment last time where I didn't do any of my normal shtick, and it was kind of fun. I like not just always saying the same thing, so I'm going to be shtickless again today. Hmm. I'm a guy. Name's Nathan. Over there, we got Brandon. He's a guy. Knows a lot about books, literature, and such. Not named Nathan. Brandon, how do you find yourself to be, my friend? Passable. Passable. Yeah. What's preventing you from being ecstatic? Slight onset of a headache. Oh, I just took the last two ibuprofen. I'm sorry. No, I didn't even was paying attention. I should have yeah. taken one of those. Yeah. I could have fought for them. <laughs> I would have been happy to share. Um, I'm doing up. great. I'm here. I'm taping a booking. This is fantastic. That's well, right. Talking about one of the great uh, cornerstones of the Western canon. That's right. Well, what do you think about the other guy that we're about to introduce? You mean the pastor who's a master? Wait, no. no, no. I can do the shtick. You can do the shtick if you want I mean, to. According to C.S. Lewis, stock expressions. That's true. I should be doing the shtick. Because the shtick is, epic is all about the shtick. Right. So. He's the wine dark pastor who put aside desire for food and drink earlier today. (laughs) Does that make you his Penelope? (laughs) No. No. Uh, No. 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 (laughs) I don't understand why it would. We're going to be the ones that die. He's going to go home to his Penelope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just be like goofy we get eaten Boatswain number two that gets eaten by the... One of us turns into a pig, the other gets eaten by Cyclops. Yeah. Did we ever decide who was a pig, and who was some pig, and who was radiant? Oh, yeah. I'm sure that people are just really... No, we didn't. Well, Jake will have decide. He's, Jake, he's a pastor, he's a master of reading, and Jake. So, Jake, there's, yeah. Charlotte writes three things in her webs. Some pig, radiant, and humble. That's exactly right. In the Obviously, cartoon, she writes terrific as well. Well, the cartoon got it wrong. Yeah. Which one of us is which of those things? Obviously, well, obviously the humble I'm humble, one. which yeah. means that you and Brandon have to split radiant some pig and, and radiant. Some pig. <laughs> obviously. Obviously, Brandon is radiant. Oh. That makes you some pig. He's glowing, and I, I thought, am some pig. I thought you were going to say, obviously, Did Brandon you listen is to the Ready, Ready Player One episode? I you, think if there was a, well, if, there, if there's any dispute about who is some pig, go listen to the Ready Player One episode, trial episode, and... Uh, I would be more like Wilbur crying over the fact that he's about to die. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the way that I came across, I guess. <laughs> most of the time, you sparkle, Brandon. Yeah, yeah most you sparkled in our last episode. Yeah. yeah. There's not a more sparkly segment of the bookening than the contextual te- Texan. Yeah, it's everybody's it's favorite all, segment. It's all like vamp, like Twilight vampires. Yeah, Brandon sparkles exactly like the great Edward himself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, exactly like Bella did after she got... I believe Bella becomes a vampire. I don't know. I haven't actually read those books, I but I, I... One day we will. Maybe that's the big surprise. Maybe we're doing Twilight. Yeah, <laughs> for our 100th. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I should, we should hype that. The 100th episode's coming up, folks. We're going to do something oh, yeah. exciting. It's really incredibly easy to figure out what it is if you you look at social media follow me on instagram follow jake on any months but we're not telling you for fun we'll give you a hint though what's a hint that's not too easy much like in the odyssey at some point somebody early on somebody gets sort of turned into a pig fair enough that a good hint that's a good hint because i don't understand it (laughs) yep that's what we're doing that speaking of things we're doing Uh let's do some don't 
shout-outs, guys. Let's do it. Jake, I'm going to let you call it. What kind of donor shout-outs are we doing today? We can't do normal donor shout-outs. We have to do something fun, but you can choose the form of fun. My form of fun is so close to normal donor shout-outs that they just sound like normal donor shout-outs. But there's something off about them. Yes, there's something off about them. Is this the challenge? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so do Lily of the Valley, Brandon. Remember, it's, it's very close to normal bookending shout-outs, but there's something off about it. Lily of the Valley? There's something off about that. You said yeah. it in an in, inter, interrogative manner. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Jake, Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds, and little baby Timothy. Almost. Oh, okay. That was pretty close to being normal, but this I guess that's what we're... Jake <laughs> is a very subtle for. guy. All right. I'll do the inscrutable Jenny X. Oh, you mixed up two names there. Mm-hmm. That's what you did. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Uh-huh. Do us some Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the... Love bats. bugs, bats, love bugs. bats, love bugs, love bats, love ba- bug this bats. Like, this sounds like we should save that for Halloween. <laughs> well, that's what the slight mix-up was. Oh, I thought it was Halloween. You thought it was Halloween? Okay. <laughs> Could this possibly be the worst donor shout-outs of all time? <laughs> uh, uh, do you, Jake, you've got John and Jill and little baby Max. John and Jill and little baby Max. That sounded normal to me. There was nothing Ooh. off about that. Oh, well, then you didn't catch it. Oh, you didn't say the love It was so close to normal that you didn't catch what was off about it. What was off about it? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Do it again. Don and Jill and little baby Max. That I forgot to tell you you to say the lovebirds? No. Is it that you sound happy to be doing it? (laughs) 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 If you figure it out, tweet at us. Nope. All right. I'll do David's Mighty Men Trucking. It's the sound effect of a truck. Effect, yeah. That was weird. Brandon, you do My Beloved Mother Beth. My Beloved Mother Beth. Mm. Did you catch it? Usually you change it to Your Beloved Mother That's Beth. That's right. But now you're acting like she's Your <laughs> Beloved Mother Beth. I've claimed her as my mother now. That's weird. Leaving you motherless, Nathan. Aww. Jake, do Maya. 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 Jay and Katie, you are cold in love. Cheese. String cheese. Okay. Canned cheese. Fine. Canned cheese. <laughs> you guys are making a mockery of donor shout-outs. I'm not sure well, I care for it. Uh, Benjamin and Dana Tiberius. Jake? Benjamin and Dana Tiberius. There wasn't anything off about that. Yeah, there was. I think you're trolling me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what's off? The listener knows. <laughs> Nathan, me. Nathan, me. No, he just gave the shout out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Such an awkward. I'm never letting Jake call donor <laughs> shout outs again, that's for sure. <laughs> Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, Brandon. That might be the point. Uh, <laughs> Eric and Catherine, the love cupids. I don't know, man. <laughs> what do you want? different. Professor X, Jake, do something with that. Professor X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there we go. That was different. Professor Y. Are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, let's talk about the Odyssey. First of all, Lawrence's translation, Brandon. Brad, our, our good friend Brad, master interpreter of Ishiguru, he wanted to know if you had any thoughts on Lawrence's translation. I wish I did, Brad. I have never read it, and I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Translated by T.O. 
Well, isn't that something? Who is it? Look at that, Brad. I'm going to actually have to check this out. Thank you. This is an unintentional suggestion. I think it's by T.E. Lawrence. Oh, like... Uh, uh, yeah, Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia? If, if this is the one I'm looking at, translated by T.E. Lawrence. <laughs> huh. This is, this is interesting. Lawrence translated the Odyssey in between uniting the Bedouins and... Three out of five stars on Homer's Iliad should be read by every literate person who strives to be well-educated. Lawrence, huh? There you go. Yeah, so I wish I could tell you more about it, but I can't. We can admit ignorance every once in a while. I didn't realize that Mr. Lawrence translated the darn thing. Yeah, this is uh, good to know now. Thank you. Brad, always full of good advice. Yeah, Brad is a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Brad. (laughs) He didn't understand anything until that part. (laughs) Now now you got it. (laughs) Now you got it, Brad. And Brad, I realize you're not actually British yourself. We said in the episode where we addressed you that you were British and you're not, I think you're, he's a Yank and he he just lives over there. I like Sarah Nathan. Lives across the pond, takes the lorry up to the lift. Apparates over there. Yeah, eat some tea. <laughs> Is that what they all do? Crump we'll send you some mail by owl. Owl. <laughs> owl. owl. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this structure. We, we made a little bit of reference to it last episode, but mm-hmm. this book has a fantastic structure. True or false? True. True. Let's talk about that. Tell okay. me about what you like or dislike about the way this book is structured. Well, I don't think there's much to dislike about the way the book is structured. It takes forever to get to the action and the stuff that you... I mean, this is the dumbest devil's advocacy argument of all time, but since you said there's nothing to dislike about it, I'll throw out what you could dislike about it, or at least what was unexpected to me as a kid reading it, is that all your life you hear these stories of Odysseus versus the Cyclops and all you know all this these cool monsters and stuff, and then that ends up being a tiny little section told in a flashback in the middle yeah. as opposed to the actual meat of the book, which well, the isn't story. what you're yep. really expecting. So the story begins with T- Telemachus, right. Odysseus' son waiting while trying to assert authority over his home right. while his father's gone. And then finally, a classic epic move, Athena, gray-eyed Athena, mm-hmm. with one of those uh, stock expressions that Lewis talked about, yeah. shows up and they hatch the plan of trying to find Odysseus. Mm-hmm. away from these suitors. I'm assuming people have read the book at this point. Everybody knows the story, I surely, of so, Odysseus, yeah. of the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. In classic epic fashion, it starts in media res, which means in the middle of the thing. Mm-hmm. So it's already happening. We have, when we first see Telemachus, it's been years after his father disappeared. When we first see Odysseus, it's when he's on Calypso's island, right? Yeah. And right, about to escape. So it's at the end of his adventures. And so, like Nathan said, all the adventures that we see is all in flashbacks with him telling the king. Is it Menelaus? It's not Menelaus. What king I always it? get those, the various scenes of kings taking them in. He washes up on the shore of Nausicaa, who's the daughter of the king of the Phaeacians. Mm-hmm. And she takes him to the court where he becomes the court singer like we saw in C.S. Lewis's Preface to Paradise Lost. He sings the story of all his wanderings. And so, but that's interesting because I think that it shows a level of maturity to the storytelling Mm -hmm. that 
most people wouldn't expect from an ancient Greek text. You would think that it would just be the story of the wanderings of Odysseus. Like what's the one, the Babylonian epic of Gil- Gilgamesh? Gilgamesh yeah. yeah, which is pretty all, straightforward. Yeah, all those are very straightforward. Beowulf is even pretty straightforward, right? It, we get the story as it happens. Hebrew, I mean, biblical narrative is always this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Yeah, there's happened. some complicated layering, mm-hmm. like a HBO series mm-hmm. going on with the Odyssey. That Yeah, that was the word that kept occurring to me and I feel bad using it because obviously this is anything but, but I kept thinking how modern the book was as I read it. It's just like, this feels very hip. I, I, I know mm-hmm. I said this in the last episode a little bit too, and I both times I felt a little dumb, but the world at large, the ancient world, did not end up doing narrative this way. This is an incredibly hip 21st century kind of a way well, to do narrative. But that's why I kept stressing over and over again with the last episode with the context that you have to realize that this is the golden era. Mm-hmm. This is one of those magical Atlantis moments right. that, you know, where all the right ingredients were coming together to produce these things. So and much so, of what was was lost, yeah. as Kate Blanchett says after after this. So much of what was was lost. Is that a Lord of the Rings reference? <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you would get other things that were just as, or at least close to the sort of complexity and elegance of this, mm-hmm. with like the comedies that were being written at the time, the tragedies, sure. the philosophy that was happening. So it was a cultured uh, city, Athens, the Greek city-states at the time. So they wanted their art to be cultured too, I suppose. <laughs> it was a cultured city, Athens. Yeah, that's right. Hey, <laughs> but a bing. <laughs> that's my favorite thing is when someone says like, he's a good guy, Jake. I like it when they yeah. use the, the pronoun at the top and then they comma the object yeah. of what the pronoun is. I really like that. It's yeah. my favorite food, ice cream. I like that. I like that way of speaking. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed that. I wish that the Midwesterners would talk that way. You know you didn't do baggage ever. Oh, shoot. Guys, and now the airplane's going over. There it goes. Oh, what what baggage did you bring to this book, Jacob? Okay, this so. Poem. Poem. Poem, as poem. Mr. Jackson used to say in my seventh grade class. I read this back in high school. Freshman year, I think I had a teacher that was one of those detail teachers. So I actually had to read it and I loved it. And I thought it was awesome, good fun. So I was pretty excited to get back into it. A little leery of how big it is and wondering if it was going to stick. And in the in the meantime, I had read the Iliad. Boo. Which We should just talk about that. What do you think about that Iliad? Yeah, I wasn't so much a fan. It was something of a slog. Yeah. You don't like long recitations of names and genealogies of people that you don't care at all about and mean nothing to you? No, not so much. That's, oh. yeah, I sat there thinking, well, this is clearly meant to flatter somebody somebody a court of people of nobles that are all descended from all these great heroes and so we need to hear how the one story you know but it's at a certain point and he launched his spear at so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so who did this great thing back in the day and yeah but I'm not going to really tell you about what that great thing was. I'm just going to tell you that it was a great thing. And then his eyes went dark. Right. (laughs) As his dark blood spilled into the soil. It feels like you're watching a movie with an awesome action scene and every 20 seconds they're going to flash back to tell you someone's stupid life. And it's it's like... It's almost like watching the director's commentary (laughs) on a really great action (laughs) movie. That's a good analogy, yes. (laughs) Yeah, so obviously it still had some... There's a reason it's still around. It still had its great moments. But it was just so full of the boring, repetitive stuff that I just, I was afraid that that's what I was going to get back into in the Odyssey and whatever fascinated or that I thought was cool the first go around 
wasn't actually as cool. And so that's what I came to this reading with, with, uh, with both some nostalgia and also some, some trepidation. Mm-hmm. Brennan, your baggage? Hey, uh, I think I've read the Odyssey first around seventh grade. If I remember right, it was for a small homeschooling co-op. Mm-hmm. that we read it together and we read that and we read portions of the Iliad. We didn't read the whole thing, but Jake's right. A whole, like a whole first section of the Iliad just reads like watching the um, opening ceremony of the Olympics Yeah, <laughs> with all the people marching in. And it's yeah. just like, it's tedious. Achilles and Hector, especially Hector, it makes the Iliad kind of worth it mm-hmm. in the end. That scene where Achilles kills Hector and then drags his body around the city mm-hmm. is pretty tragic. Some emotional stuff happens, but you can tell that it was earlier than the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. The Odyssey has more uh, grace mm-hmm. and, well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But So I read the Odyssey then, then I read it again in high school with the classical school that I was a part of at the time. I think I've mentioned this before, but it's good to go ahead and lay the background, uh, the background again, I guess, for what's to come. Yes. I was in high school. I had the opportunity to <laughs> be taught by a PhD candidate who was going for his philosophy degree. He was hired by a lawyer in Fort Worth, and he invited a group of us to come and meet three days out of the week in his basement in a very nice, posh neighborhood in Fort Worth. This was very different for me, Um, but we would be trained by this guy in all the classics. So he taught us Latin, he taught us Greek, he taught us Homer and Plato, all these things. It was was fun. Mm -hmm. It was like real classical education, not some of the other stuff that happens. But anyway, so we read this, we talked about it, he loved it, and I liked it as a teenage boy, what's not to like? A lot of action, a lot of goddesses, mm-hmm. a lot of killing suitors, mm-hmm. stuff that boys are gonna like. Yeah. So, And then I read it again, not too long ago, for when I was teaching it, and then I just read it again. So I've read mm-hmm. it about four times, and each time I've enjoyed it. And I think I had the benefit of having read it after the Iliad, and so I knew it was fine. Mm-hmm. And I really haven't tried to go back to the Iliad. Actually, when I read the Odyssey last, when I taught it, I was supposed to read the Iliad, but just read the parts I liked and didn't bother with the rest. (laughs) Yeah, my baggage is, uh, I guess, similar to you guys. I read a adaptation of the Odyssey, one of those Christian children's things for homeschoolers. And I remember it being somewhat faithful to the text, but there were a lot of, this is a little bit like watching the TV movie and then you rent the video or whatever and you watch it and you're like, oh, this movie. There are scenes there and are jokes. Things and... that are, maybe I don't want to be watching with my parents right now. So I very much, when I actually read, came to the real Odyssey, I was like, oh, he was uh, on that island for a while with the goddess and some things were going down and all the stuff that happens to the suitors and their lovers and everything is a little bit more gruesome. So a little bit like when I watched The Crow on TV and the, the cop said, blue flipping stick. And then I watched the movie and it turns out he doesn't say blue flipping stick at all. Um, really? <laughs> no, he does not say blue. red flipping stick. Yeah, he says, yeah, it's like red flipping stick. I don't remember. Somebody got a real kick out of right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Props to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> we love this oh, job. I have to look that up. <laughs> Brings up a lot of uh, fishing rods. Yeah, that's what I just found out too. <laughs> Blue flipping stick. Yeah. Brings up a lot of fishing rods. Huh? It was just really funny to see the tough cop character have some drama and be like, you know, I've had enough of this blue flipping stick. <laughs> <laughs> I remember having the same issues you guys had with the Iliad. I also have similar issues with the Aeneid, which I just, I'm just going to lay it all out here, guys. I did not find the Aeneid to be 
entertaining at all. It may well be a great work of literature, but in terms of it being one that I enjoy reading, it's just very stately and... Virgil thought it should be burned. Yeah. Well, I'm right there with him. Yeah. Not a huge fan of either of the two other... How can you be a cultured thinker without thinking that these are great pieces of work? I'm saying they're not great pieces of work. I just don't... But maybe there's something wrong with you, Nathan. Mm, Maybe. Maybe you're not attuned to the great winds that blow through the cannon. (laughs) Oh, Come on, man. muses. Help Brandon out here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. Two episodes ago, Jake wasn't here for the, you got to grab a pig by the table tail till it rots. No, nah, that's a horse. <laughs> I stand by that one. <laughs> you grab a horse by a tail until it rots. Yeah, you won't let go until it rots. And then you keep beating it. <laughs> and then you keep beating it. Well, I guess I spoiled it already. I like the Odyssey. Jake, what do you think about that Odyssey? I loved it. How come? Because it was fun. It was just as fun as I remembered it. It was a page turner. It still felt timeless and... You keep saying page turning, exciting, and fun. Yeah. And, and I want to explore that a little bit because you could read, say... No, don't you Ovid's say Metamor... What did you think I was oh, going to say? Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon's just always like been so scarred I thought by that that's the direction we're headed with this. No, no, no. You could read, say... Ovid, is it Ovid or Ovid? No. Uh, Pronunciation. I thought it was Ovid. <laughs> Ovid? Yeah. <laughs> you could read Ovid's Metamorphosis. You could read all kinds of works from that era, and they would transport you to a different world with a different culture, and you'd be bored stiff. Mm-hmm. What is it about this one that's so page-turning? It's, a, it's all about the action. There's actually not a lot of action. There's that one section in the middle where he fights the monsters and stuff, the Cyclops. Then there's the ending, which is really gory and fun. And yeah, I think it. Off, I think it also has to do with um, the descriptions. Mm-hmm. I think it has to do with Homer and the way that he writes and the expressions that he uses and the pacing that he has line to line, like the some of the metaphors that he'll choose to use mm-hmm. these metaphors. And so I'm trying to think of some of the extended. What is it when he draws the arrow and it seems like a Sparrow. <laughs> I think that's actually the way. It, just without the rhyme, yeah, yeah. some something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so you have these vivid similes. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm stretching or looking for. Mm-hmm. I'm really tired. Yeah. <laughs> so he's looking for these uh, epic similes, and so um, and are these expressions that he will use over and over again, and that helps with the pacing mm-hmm. and adds to the weight and the effect of just drawing you in because it becomes familiar. Mm-hmm. But then these similes will stand out as get, being like the perfect image you need to understand what's happening at the moment. And then, it, yeah, it's the pacing. It's the adventure of what's happening. It's Scylla and Charybdis, the strangeness of this world that he's in. But there again, yeah. we get four books of some young dude having to have goddess a goddess come down and intervene and him. But still, it's and, a goddess coming down to intervene. Yeah. Right? There's something unusual about that. He's in a he's in a no-win situation, and he's got to become a man. You know that Odysseus is out there, right. and you know that there's crazy stuff going down with Odysseus, and that's going to be fun, and you're looking forward to it. And when you come through the setup of you know figuring out what's going on at home, what's going on with Telemachus and Penelope. Penelope, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> Penelope. Penelope and, and Calliope. And yeah. Telemachus and... <laughs> Machus, I think. Tele- Telemachus, yeah. yeah. I don't know, it's it's fun. You know, he's got, the, you know, the goddesses, the gods and the goddesses intervening 
It's fun. Athena comes down and whips Telemachus into shape and says, hey, mm. dude, you're old enough now. Stand up and be a man. And so he has to stand up and be a man. And he's got to face down this impossible situation. He's got to go and escape death and become his own man and become his own hero. Mm. And all of that's happening while dad's on his return home, mm. finally, after 20 years of being gone. And so that that's compelling. So you have parts in motion, right? And you're getting the backstory as these pieces are being set up for that the final showdown in Odysseus's house. Mm-hmm. It's just cool. It works. A lot of different things going on at once. Nothing. It, it never feels too busy or cluttered. Right. Yeah. There's an action. There's a point that we're trying to get to. So in Aristotle's poetics, it's like a lot of slow motion. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Go ahead. It's like a lot of slow motion <laughs> stuff going on. Like, like if you were to to make this into a movie, maybe Odysseus wouldn't be telling the story in a hall. Right. Maybe Odysseus would be grizzled and on the boat, you know, standing on the edge and facing home. Mm-hmm. And we'd be getting some flashbacks as he's recounting everything he's been through that's brought him to this point. Yeah. You know, and it and so you're moving, always moving towards that final showdown while you're slow the the slow reveal of everything that's been that's behind the last twenty years of this man's life for him and his wife and his son and the horror of what's going on in his house mm-hmm. and the horror of what he's been through all leading up to him coming home and establishing himself in his house and rooting out the the bad guys and Mm -hmm. becoming the great king that Ithaca needs. Um, So in Aristotle's Poetics, he talks about how the drama needs this action that it's moving towards. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about the activity. You're not getting a lot of internal thinking with Mm -hmm. the guys. Right. There's not Um, a lot of psychoanalysis or mm -hmm. psychologizing going on. That's going to be more of something later that we will get with a novel. And so to... Mention Walter Benjamin again, the guy that I mentioned with the translation last episode. I think I'm just now realizing how influential mm. Walter Benjamin has been on me. Yeah. This, uh, this, what a depressing character, too. Yeah. Yeah, just a quick aside, then he was a Jewish critic right before World War II and then committed suicide because of what was probably going to happen to him because he was a Jewish critic living in Germany, in or Europe or during World War Europe, II. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And so kind of a tragic story, but he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. And he has this essay called The Storyteller, where he makes a division between modern novels and then the stuff that happened before the modern novel was storytelling, and how before that, things were very outward. Um, and so the audience was intended to be engaged. Right. Well, with a novel, things became inward. And so it's about you and the author, but in a very enclosed, more intimate space that would become more psychological in nature. While things like Homer, you know, you have the bard talking to you, he's telling you a story. It's not going to be really psychological. He's not going to stop, stop to give you long inner dialogues of Odysseus thinking about things. You're going to get, you know, Odysseus beat his chest and Mm -hmm. told his heart to man up. I think that's in part of the book, right? Yeah. You're going to get these little snippets that tell you enough about Odysseus, like he's sly, he's clever. Mm. And then you're going to see his actions that prove these things to you, right? So he demands to be tied to the mast and not have the earwax or the wax put in his ears because he wants to hear the sirens. Mm -hmm. And so you see these outer things that show you who Odysseus is. And according to Aristotle, that's what the drama is supposed to do. It shows you through action what you're supposed to think about the character Mm -hmm. as opposed to inner thoughts and feelings. And so the point being... I think that helps it to be more engaging. Yeah. Um, it reads well in a way that, you know, you have to work with Jane Austen. You have to work with even Dickens and stuff mm-hmm. like that, even though more Dickens is more along these lines. Right. Then Homer, it just reads. It reads like it's meant to be moving you along, mm-hmm. like it's supposed to catch you in it. And so I found what C.S. Lewis said to be pretty true with the Odyssey. The more you read it, 
the more, so something that's interesting. So I was teaching students here poet poetry this morning. Mm-hmm. Something that's really fascinating about a good poem is that maybe it's weird at the first when you start reading it, but the further along you get in the poem, the easier it becomes. It's because the poem actually teaches you how to read it, right? So Shakespeare's sonnets, it might be hard for the first couple, but by four or five, it actually teaches you how to read it. You learn how to read a sonnet, right? If you're paying attention. And so with the Odyssey, it might be a little bit of a slog at first. I didn't really find it to be a slog, but eventually you learn how to read the Odyssey and it draws you in and you find yourself just being swept on along in this story. I didn't find it to be a slog either, by the way. I just was trying to figure out why I didn't find it to be a slog because on the face of it, there's not a lot that's actually happens in the story. But I think it does have to do though with... It doesn't seem like there's a lot that happens, but there is a lot that's happening. Right. Right. There's a lot that, so I guess to try and summarize my points, there's a lot that's happening with just the vividness of the language, Mm -hmm. the stock expressions that are taking place. So there's a lot that's happening with the poetry that you don't realize is happening because if you try to focus on it too much, it falls apart. Right. So that's happening. But then you also do have the action that he's focused, the fact that he's focusing on external things that are happening. Even with that externalization, I find the character relationships to be pretty compelling and dynamic. Like in any given scene, especially in those first four books, there's always a lot of different people. Even though we're not getting inner psychology, we are getting a lot of fascinating psychology in terms of different people in a room all bouncing off of each other, all having a different point of view. It's relatively sophisticated when you compare it to, I mean, the obvious booking comparison, I guess, would be Beowulf, where it's just like, Beowulf showed up. He did this. Someone reacted. Yeah, the, the, the... The human nature, the insight into human nature, the the humanity of the Odyssey versus the humanity of Beowulf is... Or Gilgamesh or... It's the difference between being, you know, 3D and Technicolor versus yeah. a like black and white cartoon. Bayou tapestries. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what the uh, Beowulf feels like. You feel like you know these characters and you have a certain... I, don't, I, I know it's not an interior insight. It's not like you're reading their minds. It's not like you're getting no, but, into no, their but skin. No, but they do and say tracks like... It's very yeah. cinematic, Odysseus for lack a, of a better word. You yeah. feel like you're there and but you're seeing these people behave in a way that they would behave. It's not just people striking noble they're postures. They're very different people and they're all internal... Yeah, the suitors, there's some suitors yeah. that are nicer. There's some that are meaner. It's just like, it's rich. Well, the, point, the point with the action is not so that you won't ever think of internals. Right. The point of the action is for you not to... It's they don't want to give you thoughts externals. in other wor- in, in order to understand the character. They want you to judge the character by the, what they do. Right. And so that does tell you about internals. I mean, it tells. So I was thinking of the same thing in the first four chapters. You get that one where all the suitors are debating. You quickly begin. So what's the really one you just want to see die? The guy that gets the arrow through his neck. Yeah. Right? What's his name? I, I don't remember their names, but is it, it's not Antinous, is it? I think Antin. I don't. I don't know. But it's one of those suitors. You just grow to hate him because he's just greedy and you see it and you see that he all he wants is Penelope and mm. he just wants everyone else to he would kill them all if he could. Yeah, he, he wants to kill them all who he steps on right. to yeah. But then you have the wiser old man that actually at the end you're kinda sad to mm-hmm. see him die. But he still dies, I like just like everyone else. And yeah. that's part of what happens in the Odyssey is there's the guy that's kind to Odysseus, and Odysseus says you should get out of here, and then he doesn't and dies anyway. It's exactly. Just like, that's a much it, more rich and complex character. I think it's the same guy. Is right? that the same? Yeah. It might be the same guy, but yeah. it's this one. He has wisdom. He's an older man, and he's trying to tell them, you know, we just don't. We're not going to do this. Let's be cool, guys. Right? And so, But it's through the action of speech and rhetoric, right, these speeches that they're giving, because... 
Greeks at the time, they were trained in rhetoric and conversation. Mm -hmm. But the thought was that by looking at the way that someone speaks, the sort of arguments they make, mm -hmm. you can tell a lot about their character. Right. Yeah. Just like people listening to the book, I think. Mm -hmm. Listen to the way we speak, and they yeah. can tell a lot about each of our characters. Yep. For better and worse. No, for, for better. 100%. Always for better. Upwards and onwards. But so, yeah, the point being that you're not ever going to get like that indirect style of Jane Austen where, and then he thought this, right? right? And she wouldn't even say that. It would just mix it together. Right, right, right. Here, it's always going to be directly what they say and the assumption being that you can understand someone's character by what they do and what they say. Yeah, that's why I said cinematic because it feels like you're just hovering there watching them and you have to yeah. make your judgments through their actions. Yeah, you have to judge whether or not you're being tricked, whether right. or not, you know. Homer's usually pretty straightforward, and I don't think he does much trickery. Right. But still, um, and it's all, but he's not calling like, then this guy was the evil one, and now he's going to speak. You judge that by what he says and right. what he does. And he makes you actually hate this guy. Like, mm -hmm. you, I'm, you're actually happy when he gets the arrow through his neck. Yeah. Right. And you actually are sad, and I think Homer wants you to feel sad about the one guy who does die. Odysseus is like, you need to get out of here. But in the sense of Greek justice that happens, it's this guy was a suitor, and suffering happens to all. Chance and fate befall us all, and mm -hmm. befalls this guy too, and therefore he dies. Supposed to feel like it's Odysseus being unkind or unjust. Oh, should we just ask the question? The suitors deserved to die, true or false, Jake Mansell? True. Brandon, the suitors deserve to die, true or false? <sighs> the one, Yeah, some of them definitely deserve to die. Uh, it's not true or false. That's like a... True. Oh. True. I'm being peer pressured, though, maybe. So you think it's false? Nah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, we'll make an argument it. for false. Mm, well, so you I'll guys make, make an, an argument, argument for false. You want to make an well, argument for false? Is that the devil's false? alarm? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They they were plotting to murder Telemachus, so that's pretty bad. But they didn't actually pull it off. They'd spent twenty years eating up Telemachus's inheritance, right? Yeah. And Penelope's livelihood. None of these things are quite capital crimes, though. I'm and not sure. And then they plotted to murder Telemachus. That that's a pretty capital crime, right there. And if Odysseus had ever returned, they might have. They were going to kill Odysseus. Mm -hmm. They were going to yeah. kill Odysseus, right? Right. And so Odysseus shows up and announces himself, and they're going to kill him. Right. Yeah. And so these are murderous thieves of the worst sort. Yeah. Oh, wait, am I supposed to be? I think yeah, I thought you were going to argue against it, but okay. Well, uh, <laughs> we can do both. Why do they both. deserve I'll not argue... to die? Because they didn't actually do any. Of There's no capital those crime. Things. I mean, it's it's in mo the movies have kind of tra trained us that the bad guy's got to pull his gun before John Wayne can just shoot him. Well, the movies are less and less like that. Well, now, the, but... and the real thing is that why didn't Penelope ever just say go away? Yeah, well, that's some of what's really fascinating about this book is that. I'm not sure what to think about Penelope. And it feels like in different parts of the book, she's you never really get a good read on whether she's leading them on or whether she maybe well, can't do it because of some political thing with her parents or whatever was expected of a woman. Or The best explanation I've ever found is that as long as she could make them think that they had the possibility of becoming king, they would not kill Telemachus. But that's nowhere... In the text, I know it, you're just supposed to read it in there. Is, yeah, but that's are, that's her. Well, and I as mean, long, yeah, you, that might be us can, making excuses for Homer, who wasn't as clear or as morally upright as we or might want to be. Or it might be us yeah. acknowledging the fact that that would have been really obvious to anybody. Yeah, and I, who I understood the politics yeah. of. Yeah, she, I mean, she was a woman, and for everybody's hating on the patriarchy here at Warhorn, things were very. That's very, what people do. They kill. Yeah. I mean, like they would. Nobody would want if you married Penelope and you became king of. Ithaca and had Telemachus is 
instantly a competitor to your throne right. and a competitor to your son as your son as heir to the throne. So you kill him. Yeah. So they would kill him. Would they do. would kill him. And also she just would not have the right necessarily culturally to tell these men no. Mm-hmm. Right. And to leave. But then and Telemachus so the best she, the best stands she, up for himself. and Yeah. Telemachus is a good character. Yeah. Um, I like Telemachus as a character. He's probably my favorite character actually. Mm-hmm. I think he's, yeah. he's the closest the book comes besides maybe Eurymachus, the, the goat herd, goat herd mm-hmm. to actually having a moral yeah. character because Odysseus certainly isn't. Right. We'll talk about that more next episode, but yeah. yes, agreed. But yeah, but even then, you do have the scene where Odysseus disguises himself and then right. he do- goes to Eurymachus and stays with him for a while, right? And he mm-hmm. hears about everything that's happening. Yeah. And so Odysseus takes the time to come to a judgment before he strikes. Yeah. He knows what's happening. And in Odysseus's mind... When he takes the time to parse the innocent and the guilty. Yeah. Yeah. And so in his mind, he knows what has to be done or they're going to take his throne. And in Homer's world, we know that... Killing others is okay if it serves the purpose of either A, your own glory, like Achilles, or B, preserving your power. Mm-hmm. That's it, why it was okay for Odysseus to let all his men die so that he could get home. None of them had the kingly position awaiting them. They were pawns in the game that he was playing. Mm. So, just a pawn in the game. <laughs> Plus, I suppose there's the consideration that he is, in fact, the king of Ithaca, and if anyone's going to make a a judgment like that, it's going to be him. It's not just, it's just some... It's his job, it's who, who it falls to. Right. It's not, it's not just some dude that's mad because somebody is squatting in his house. It's the king. Yeah, you have to... squatting in the king's palace. Right. Yeah, you have to understand that's the position. Cool. He's got to he reestablish has. his rule. Right. Yeah. It would be like Donald Trump disappearing for years and people squatting in the White House seeing if his wife will marry them. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that's an amazing let's write this poem <laughs> yeah let's do this yeah, but it's that position of authority and power he yeah. was called he was one of the major figureheads of the trojan war he was called by menelaus to come and fight and he brought his men with him and he was a major king he was like he was the city states at the time, we didn't really talk about greek politics at the time mm-hmm. but the city states were their own little individual kingdoms on the, the, the peninsula the peninsula yes the peloponnesus or whatever it's called mm-hmm. the, so you'd have sparta you would have athens you'd have Ith- ithaca all these little city states that would be their own independent kingdoms that would then do trade with one another mm-hmm. but it would be it would be kind of like kind of like the united states was originally intended to be right? yeah. with these independent but interrelated e- economies and governments so there was no king over Odysseus. He was the king of Ithaca. Mm-hmm. And so with these guys squatting in his house, it was a big deal. Right. And if he's coming back, you have to put yourself in the mindset of what the Greeks would have been, mm-hmm. would have thought of that. You're making a claim towards a God-given, the, the God's given role right. of being a king, and you have no right to that if mm-hmm. the king is still alive. And if he comes back, he's going to take his vengeance on you. Right. Just like the gods would take their vengeance. And all throughout this book is about things trying to take their vengeance. Uh, Odysseus messes his whole life up because he has a God trying to take his vengeance on him. Poseidon. Mm-hmm. And that's why in the very end, you get that whole twist. Oh, you can't stay home. You got to go bury this war. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird ending. It's a weird ending until you uh, until you watch your brother or thou. Mm-hmm. And then it actually is pretty funny. Or they have to go get the yeah. her daddy's watch or whatever, yeah. or whatever their rings. They can't, or... actually, they can't actually get married. There's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no stability. There's no actual happy ending. What a great movie. Yeah. One of Brandon, Mr. Chastain's favorites. One of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the other cultural thing that people just have no, or that we have no concept of, is that hospitality is a big yes. deal yeah. in this culture. And you see it all through the book. 
with, yep. I mean, the, you could almost say if you wanted to write some, I'm sure people have written dissertations on this. The book is just a series of incidents of hospitality given or denied. Actually, it's a big part of Heroes of the City of Man with is, Peter is Lightheart talks yeah. quite a bit about that, which actually I'm not saying that I approve of Lightheart in general, mm-hmm. but Heroes of, Heroes of the City of Man is a good book. It's one of his earliest things that he wrote and he's got useful things when it comes to literature. But he talks about the issue of hospitality. Yeah, the, he, it's just yeah. a really useful. He talks about so the thing he talks about fame and glory mm-hmm. and how the Greeks were always striving for fame and glory and to really understand the culture you have to understand that everybody would have been fine with the man who is the most powerful striving after fame and glory and that not being immoral. And so when Odysseus comes home, his fame and his glory has been threatened. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to reclaim it. Right. And boy, does he reclaim it. <laughs> right. And we have seen after scene after scene of him being accepted into different palaces by different kings who welcome him in or him or Telemachus. We have all these scenes of diplomacy and people just want to, to parade. Gift giving. Their gift giving. Yeah. and The their, generosity. I mean, there's the scene where Telemachus has to escape by night or whatever. I don't remember the details, but he wants to. Because he, otherwise he's going to be held captive for a couple of days while he's showered with gifts and food and hospitality. Yeah. And he knows that this guy's going to be angry because he left without giving him the opportunity. With, yeah. yeah, He did not give him the opportunity to show generosity to the son of Odysseus. Right. That's yeah. an affront. You yeah. put all that together, look at that's how their culture is, and then realize that's what the suitors are abusing. Yep. And suddenly it makes a lot more sense that Odysseus is going to rain down. His rage, yeah. 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 Well, we had an interesting sermon a couple of years ago in our church about hospitality. Hospitality, yeah. It was on Genesis. It was on Abraham and his uh, welcoming of the angels who are going to destroy Sodom, I think. Mm-hmm. Abraham is uh, sitting by the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he looks up, and there are three men standing there. And he runs, and he meets them, and he bows down, and he says... Don't pass by. Let me bring water and wash your feet. Rest yourselves, and I'll bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself. And they say, okay, that's cool. And then he goes and he has Sarah make cakes, and he slaughters a calf, and he brings curds and milk, and holds this big elaborate feast for these people. And it's just done with this enthusiasm. Like he runs into the tent to Sarah and says, quick, do this and that and get the flour and make things. Yeah, drop everything you're doing. There's There are people mm-hmm. close by and we have, to, we have to show them hospitality. Right. Showing hospitality and generosity toward the stranger in your midst, the alien, the wanderer, is just central to biblical morality. Mm-hmm. And refusing to show kindness to the wanderer, to the stranger, to the foreigner. Yeah, be hospitable is like a constant command in the New Testament. It's just something that I think our culture, I mean, not to get too heavy handed about it, but I think we just, when we read a book like The Odyssey, we're just, we're just not thinking about it. It goes right past us, but it shouldn't because it's completely foreign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sermon was really, uh, really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, it was very helpful. It helped me. You remember change. that one? Yeah. yeah, it helped me change some things. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that he said, you know, greet people, actually get up and go and greet them when they come to your yeah. house. Yeah. I always think of that one. It's the greet. Yeah. Feel like you want them greet to be them there. Greet them at the door as yeah. when you realize they're there and then walk them to their car. Yep. Kind of first to last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hospitality, generosity. But then how that stretches to all aspects of life too. So even in the church, this is our home. So if someone visits, make sure that they feel like they're welcome and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It was really it was a great sermon. Yeah. Very useful. Abraham walks with those men. Helpful. When when they have the Sodom and Gomorrah discussion, it's because he's walking them yeah. off his yeah. property, seeing them off, which is something I'm bad about when I have visitors is Same. standing up and 
walking yeah. out with them and waving goodbye. It's just natural stuff that makes people <clears throat> feel good. And and we get different uh, sort of foretastes of this sort of thing. There are other people that, you know, Odysseus will come to that are inhospitable. Right. And, you know, whether it's the Cyclops or... Right. Cersei. Cersei. You get the sense that one of the biggest sins of the Cyclops is not devouring his men, but it's just not not, not treating this stranger in his midst with the appropriate kindness and decorum. And then the reason that the goat herd is so awesome and the, the way that Odysseus obnoxiously, in my opinion, keeps testing him and testing him is, are you going to be hospitable? Are you going to give me a blanket? Are you going to do this for me? Are you going to care for me this way? And the goat herd comes through with flying colors. It is the yeah. goat herd. That's the good guy, right? Yeah. Comes through and it's the pig herd that meets a rather grisly end, I yeah. believe. <laughs> but <laughs> poor pig herd. Well, then they say over and over again that Zeus is the the god of the stranger or yeah. the, the avenger of the beggar. Or the, right. Yeah. And so which is why Odysseus dresses like a beggar when he first shows up and he has the dog. Mm-hmm. That always breaks people's hearts, the dog. Yeah. The poor dog that d- yeah. dies when it sees him. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that's a tearjerker of a moment for sure. First uh, dog, sad dog story. Maybe mm-hmm. I think it might be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but in my, I guess, off-used expression now, you can't overstate nope. <laughs> <laughs> the importance of hospitality in this culture. So just like glory and fame plays an important role in understanding the Greek mindset, like C.S. Lewis wants us to do when we go into these books, you want to understand the world they were a part of so that you can then judge them fairly. Hospitality was very key to them and essential. And so if you're not hospitable, it's a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Get an arrow through your neck. Yep. And then the goddess will show up and make sure it's the most unfair possible fight that it could be. And- yeah. Well, you know. I was always frustrating. I always wanted Paris to die in the Iliad. And Aphrodite keeps making him disappear, like catching him up in smoke <laughs> and all that. I, I have to say, as a kid, I hated the gods. I mean, I hated the fact that they made they were always waiting things towards the heroes and just taking the suspense and the fun out of everything. It's like, just let Odysseus kill these guys. I don't want to be watching a John Wayne movie and then suddenly somebody comes out of the sky and helps John Wayne kill all the bad guys. I just want to know John Wayne's yeah. that that cool. Like, Liter- to me, it makes Odysseus less cool that Oth- Athena's always got his back. I loved Athena. Yeah. I loved... You've gone on record in other, the, the Warhorn verse about that, I think, maybe. Yeah. Just a big fan of Athena. Was, yeah. What do you love about Athena? She's the goddess of wisdom. Super cool babe who shows up and is always got your back. Yeah, she's better than Wonder Woman. Yep. She's the ultimate fantasy girl. Most likely better than Captain Marvel. Uh, we'll find out in 2020 or whatever. Yeah. Have to see. But, or maybe they'll do it right. Maybe Captain Marvel will basically be Captain America's Athena. Maybe. Maybe she'll wear a helmet with a feather in it. and That's the way they should do it, but... They probably won't. No, probably won't. Maybe Captain America will shoot an arrow through Thanos' neck. Yeah, you should have gone for the head. <laughs> We talked a lot about hospitality this episode. The Greeks actually, I should have mentioned earlier, the Greeks actually have a word for that. It's, I believe it's pronounced xenia. It's X-E-N-I-A. Like xenophobia. Yeah, like, or, or xenia warrior princess. It is the ancient Greek concept of hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> the generosity and courtesy, I'm reading from our friend Wikipedia here. Not ashamed to admit it, because, hey, Wikipedia synthesizes things for you. What are you, you going to do? The generosity and courtesy shown to those who are far from home, the rituals of hospitality created and expressed a re- reciprocal relationship between guest and host expressed in both material benefits, such as the giving of gifts to each party, as well as non-material ones, such as protection, shelter, favors, or certain normative rights. The Greek god Zeus is some ca- ca- sometimes called Zeus Xenios because of 
one of his things, you know, how the gods kind of like saints, Catholic saints, they have attrib- things that they do. One of Zeus's things was that he was Yeah, a, you see that throughout the, he's the god of the stranger, the yeah, foreigner. He's yep. the protector of guests. He's the god of, yeah, exactly. So he is actually called Xenios sometimes. So Xenia, that's actually when we, every time we said hospitality, just go back and pretend like we were saying the word Xenia, and then you'll think we're really smart because that's the word that we could have been saying. Is there anything else you guys want to say about the topic of hospitality in this thing? Uh, just a quick summary that hospitality is again the theme that you see woven throughout the whole book and hosts are either feeding their guests or feeding on them so you see that sort of thing the whole book long uh they're either feeding and providing for people or they're literally eating yeah we ain't talking metaphorically no no it's very like consuming them you know you've got two very extremes presented here they're very generous hosts that are very that are feeding and clothing and providing lavishing gifts on people and then there are the the hosts that are like the cyclops he's eating literally eating his guests Mm -hmm. like that turns them into turning them into pigs presumably yeah she turns them into pigs presumably to slaughter mm-hmm. and eat them mm-hmm. that's um, what one does with pigs when they go Except by over. the charbatus and and mm-hmm. uh Scylla and, yeah. Scylla and charbatus they are consuming the men yeah uh when they go to the yes. land of apollos mm-hmm. yeah. helios they are there and instead of being good guests they're not being given things they take and they consume they're eating the sun god out of house and home and so they deserve to die just like uh the men who are the suitors. Con- the suitors who are consuming Odysseus's house deserve to die. You know, that's the way we see hospitality play out, you know, as you said at the that, you know, it's basically just a big morality tale about hospitality. Yeah, basically every situation, every incident that you see, you can if you just start to filter it through that lens of, of Xenia, as I like to say, because I'm so sophisticated. It's all about that. That's the whole story. Yeah, and <laughs> and then sort of hand in hand with hospitality is loyalty. And you see it the most at the very end where you have the swine herd and the goat herd. The swine herd is the most generous host perhaps in the whole poem and he's lavishing this poor wayfaring stranger the whole time he's expressing his loyalty to Odysseus as long as he's asking about Odysseus and he's being the most generous host of all mm-hmm. so you see he he really is the most one of the most virtuous people in the whole book contrasted with the goat herd mm-hmm. who yeah. uh, is the least generous and the least loyal and he gets a it comes uh, to a rather nasty end comes that, to the most nasty end that of goat anybody herd. yeah why loyalty and hospitality or disloyalty and yeah. a lack of hospitality although I will say and we'll get into this next episode because next episode we're Next episode, we're going to decide if Odysseus is actually a good guy. I do not care personally for how much Odysseus tests the poor swineherd again and again and again. And again. what would you do here? What did you do? It's like, Odysseus, give this guy a break. He's obviously the greatest guy in the world. Stop testing him, you jerk. But uh, we'll talk more about that next time, whether Odysseus is actually a, an admirable fellow. You know, Swineherd passed tests. He does. He passes with rewarded. flying colors. Yeah, but, he, you know, he maybe, maybe just fine. But yeah. Well, he passes just fine. Yeah. And maybe don't exasperate a Swineherd. That's 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 my advice. Don't put exasperate it on a, a Hey, $25 members, put it up. Uh, what did I just say? Don't exasperate a Swineherd. Don't exasperate, don't exasperate a Swineherd. <laughs> yeah. The booking t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a... Good I'll vote t-shirt. for that one. <laughs> you have to remember, whatever t-shirt you wear, you're going to have to explain it to like random. So number one, you're going to be explaining some podcast that they've never heard of, which is great because then they'll be able to go listen to it. They've got like 100 episodes they can listen to. They'll love it. They'll be great. They'll be thankful. They'll they'll shake your hand and say, thank you for telling me. But then you'll have to explain whatever the context of the quote is. So that's definitely a reason to vote for that particular one. Well, the other thing we're going to... So 
cliffhanger for next episode. We, we are going to... Next episode, I think we're really going to tackle, and I hope people come back for it. If you, this is your first booking, I don't know why you listened to part two of The Odyssey as your first booking, but come back next time for part three, and go back and listen to part one, but come back for part three. We're going to talk about, is Odysseus a good guy? Which I think the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> Booking Today was written and produced by Nathan Alverson, executive produced by Jacob Menzel and Nathan Alverson. For more great content, you can go to warhornmedia.com. Follow us on all the social medias under at warhornmedia or the booking under at the booking on your Instagram and your Facebook. Go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. Sign up for one of our reward levels. Which reward level do you think they should sign up for, Jake? $10 gets you a donor shout out. $25 gets you a cool t shirt. Awesome. Uh, the ability to help pick what goes on the t shirt. 50 bucks gets you uh, each of the books that we're doing. Nice signed copies. Mm-hmm. Plenty of time to read them before you listen to our episodes. That's absolutely right. $5 a month gets you access, access to, to behind-the-scenes behind stuff. Some, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Right, Brandon? It's great. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs>